Hello and welcome to the Fish on Ted podcast, where we talk about the business of hunting and fishing. Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast. I want to thank everybody for joining us today, and we just appreciate your time and attention uh, to um, our podcast that is focused on the business of hunting and fishing. And today we've got a real unique guest. I'm real excited to have this conversation today with Jared Jorgensen of CIA Outfitters. And uh, Jared is unique in that he has not only a fishing guide business in the state of Oregon, but also has a fishing camp in the state of Alaska. And so without further ado, uh, Jared, are you there? Yes, yes. Hi, Ted. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Welcome. Welcome. It, uh, it's just about Christmas time. Are you, are you in the midst of fishing now? Or are you sort of in between seasons a little bit? Yeah, I'm just, just in between seasons, just kind of spending some time with the family and getting ready for the holidays and, uh, you know, recharging, getting ready for uh, the next big fishing run. There, there you go. And then, in, of course, in your business, you've got the fishing shows coming up. Yep, yep. Coming up on a big marketing blitz. I think I have five sportsman shows that I'm doing this year. Uh-huh. So those those are always fun to get out and talk fishing with all kinds of different people. Absolutely. It, uh, it sort of ramps a guy up for the upcoming seasons. But um, anyway, Jared, hey, tell us a little about yourself. Where did you grow up? Uh, what, uh, what? How did you become a guide and how did you get the fishing bug in your life? So I grew up in Salem, Oregon, and, uh, you know, didn't do a ton of fishing when I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, no hunting really. Uh, we'd go on some charter trips and, uh, I always really enjoyed that. And I was more involved in more, you know, kind of organized sports. And then as okay. I got older, uh, you know, I got really kind of hooked on the, the fishing bug. I had some buddies that had some grandparents that had coastal property in some great spots you know in the north coast and just kind of got really hooked on on you know that awesome feeling of hooking up on a you know a nice king right so that that kind of suckered me in when i was you know in early teens Uh uh-huh uh-huh now you talk about the north coast is that uh, what tillamook area that sort of thing yeah, that was on the Salmon River there in Lincoln City. It was, oh, yeah. uh, yep, yep, and then kind of moved on once kind of got a little more mobile. Uh, yeah, fishing the all those uh, Tillamook area rivers. Uh-huh. Well, that's, uh huh. So that that's still a hot place to fish anymore. That uh, I bet I'll bet you caught your share of fish uh, growing up then. Yeah, there was. It seemed like there was a bit bit uh, bigger fish around back then, but they. I was also a lot smaller guy too, so you know they probably just seemed bigger. <laughs> so true. Now, now you were telling me also that you were very involved in what motocross racing and that sort of thing at that time. Yep, yep. So that was a big, big thing that I did. So that took up a, a bunch of my time. So I was kind of splitting my time between doing that and then. Uh, you know, fishing. There's also a few times when, you know, I kind of might've had a, a snapped wing here or there, you know, and that kind of led to some downtime that gave me some good time to fish also. So it was kind uh, of good, good backup. Very good. Now, uh, w- uh, as a younger guy like that, did you ever uh, have your own drift boat or sled? I did. I had a drift boat when I was younger and that was always uh, real good to get out on the Sandy Am. That was a, 
um, real easy spot to fish and, and, uh, sure. and great fishery. That's a, just a great river. Uh, the North Sandy Am, South Sandy Am's great too, but uh-huh. I had a lot of, a lot of good times, even some cast and blast, you know, action on the North Sandy Am. Oh um, yeah. I mean, I've caught a, caught a fish, uh, every month of the year there. In, uh, really. Yep. Uh, so that's a, it's a, it's not quite as good as it used to be, but, uh, it's still a, it's still a pretty cool, cool river in my book. Oh, that's great. Now, now you use the term there, cast and blast that, uh, that's what duck hunting and fishing. Yep. Yep. Oh, that sounds like a whole lot of fun, man. Yep. Yep. Or, you know, some places it's a better mix of, uh, chucker hunting and, Oh and, yeah. Uh, but there it's not, but I've, I've, I've been on some pretty good adventures on the salmon river in Idaho, uh, cat oh. or the snake cast and blast. It's a, it's a good combo. Yeah. You know, those truckers, man, that, that just equates to work because those things are, <laughs> are on, on the, on the sides of hills and stuff. And I've, I've, I've heard them, you know, chatter and you, and you get out of the boat and you walk and walk and walk uphill and you get to the top and nothing flushes. And then you hear them chattering down below. And I'm just, Oh my God, that is, you know, incredible workout. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's a, it's kind of a exercise in futility a lot of times, but uh, I, you know, I bird dogs and I really like seeing them work. So it's always a, fun time when i get a few chance few you know opportunities to get away from fishing i like bird hunting so uh-huh very good now uh when you got out of uh high school you went to where oregon state university i did yep yep mm-hmm. and uh i started off with some you know i didn't know what i was wanted to be but i uh i ended up i needed a part-time job and i was uh I were, ended up working for the state, uh, teaching motorcycle safety for uh-huh. Team Oregon. Oh, wow. And I really liked that. So I kind of figured, oh, I, you know, I should finish college. And uh, so I ended up picking a, you know, program to go into that I thought was interesting. But I really kind of thought I was going to continue on with uh, motorcycle instructing because I really had a great, you know, relationship. I thought, you know, teaching people a new skill and seeing them grow and, you know, ex- excited about being involved in a new activity was really cool. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, um, when it came, when I came time to graduate, I, I was like, Oh, I'm going to just continue on doing this, you know, uh, helping people learn how to ride motorcycles. And then I just, and then kind of last second, I got offered a job in my field of study, which was fermentation science, you know, making beer. And uh, I figured, well, I spent all this money. I should probably go with, uh, you know, a job that, you know, I just spent, you know, five years, uh, you know, supposedly, you know, getting educated on. So, uh, so yeah, I was in the brewing industry for quite some time. I'll be done. Well, gosh, that's sort of like, uh, it's an interesting correlation. You were teaching motorcycle safety and making beer at the same time. (laughs) Yep, you, they're both they're both great activities. They don't mix very good, but they uh, yeah, so, yeah, so true, so true. So so in the in the fermentation business and and working in breweries, where did you work? Yeah, so I first uh, started working in Portland, Bridgeport, uh-huh. and then uh, and I kind of realized that um, you know I, at that time Portland was nothing like it is now, but I realized that that big city living was just you know it's just kind of right on the edge of where i was uncomfortable with being around that many people all the time yeah Uh, i mean back then the pearl district i mean there was a dirt road behind 
the the brewery that I worked on. And now there's a, you know, it's million dollar condos and oh yeah uh, the, the fish fertilizer plant that was across the street is now a whole foods. So it's, it's really changed. Wow. Yeah. Better. You know, that whole area is become, uh, uh, you know, uh, very built up and eclectic. It's a real interesting part of the world. And uh, it's kind of, it's kind of fun to walk down the street and, and uh, see what's down there, but it sure is different anymore. It is. Yep. Yeah. So then I, I got a great opportunity to move to Bend and uh, work for Deschutes Brewery. And that was a, a real up and coming yeah. brewery at the time. You know, we were, you know, the fifth or sixth largest craft brewery in the country. And uh, that was a real fun experience. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I kind of got myself into a spot where I was working three twelves. And oh. uh, so I had a lot of time off. And, uh-huh. uh, and I kind of you know, ran out of buddies to fish with during the week. So I, you know, ended up, you know, meeting a lot of fishing guides and going on trips with them and, and really kind of getting that feel for taking newbies out fishing. And it was uh-huh. kind of, I got that same great experience of, you know, seeing other people enjoy something that I enjoy. And that's, it's like, it's more fun for me to see somebody catch a fish than it is for me to catch one, you know? And, right. Yeah, I kind of got bit by the bug there. So eventually, um, you know, doing the fishing thing was, was more fun than, you know, working at a place where I had free beer. And so I figured, you know, there's only, I mean, that's, that's a lot of guys dream is, you know, and, and, uh, I found something better. So I decided I needed to go with that. Wow. Good for you. Now, now when was that Jared? So that was uh, about 2005. I was doing the part-time thing, um, you know, in that range. And then, um, yeah, I think right about 2005 or six, um, I started uh, guiding uh, more and more. And then, yeah, 2008 is when I started guiding full-time. So uh, 10 years ago. So if, if my math is correct on what I know about you, you, you started in the guiding business, what, in your early 30s, something like that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, good. And, and you've been doing that now, gosh, it sounds like 13 years, 14 years. Yep. Yep. So I did it. Yeah. Part-time for a while. I had a couple chances to, to uh, guide up in Alaska and then, um, and then eventually I just kind of, yeah worked into a spot where it was time to, to make the move to full time. So very good. Now, now that was, as I recall on the Togiak where you guided up there for a while. I did. That was a great experience. I worked for those guys and I actually, and then I also guided on the new Shigak some also. Uh-huh. And then, but that, that was, that, that was kind of my last part-time gig was uh, with uh, working up there on the Togiak for Larry Lund. Right. And uh, I just saw how, you know, how awesome, you know, a well-run operation could be. And, uh, you know, I just figured, you know, time to jump in and, you know, kind of model that, you know, somewhere and be in charge of it myself. Uh, very good. Yeah. Larry runs a, a really interesting operation up there on the Togiak. So, um, when, when you moved over to the Nushigak, is, is that when you ended up picking up the, the salmon camp up there then? Yeah, so I I bought it from a buddy of mine who uh, who who I'd gone with and checked it out when he bought it and he'd owned it for oh man like thirteen or fourteen years, right? And uh, he was just kind of transitioning into he was more of a business guy than a a fisherman, so 
he maybe was burned out on a little bit and uh yeah so i got that opportunity to to start uh running that and then own it and uh right. that's been a great a great fill in for for you know to go to that was kind of my catalyst to being able to to go year round fishing right well in 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 for those that don't know i mean the nushagak is kind of considered the mecca of salmon fishing in the world isn't it and i mean you you know in in oregon you know a great day is if you hook up on you know five or six fish but on the nushagak i mean you got what 40 50 fish days up there yeah absolutely it's you know it's the best salmon run you know quite possibly i mean now argentina and there's a few countries that are starting to kind of creep in on us but uh-huh it's a you know one of the most consistent best salmon runs in the world right and uh, it's not uncommon to you know put up big numbers and you know sometimes you hear guys throw around you know real big numbers like a hundred but if you do the math on that you you, you're going to be a you're going to be on the water for a long time you know fighting feisty kings but yeah it's it's super it's super common for us to get 40 or 50 uh per boat per day yeah Wow, that is a, that is amazing. I I spent a little time on the New Shigak a, a number of years ago, and I remember at that time we had to fly just to give people geographics of where this is. You, you had to fly to Anchorage, and then at that time you'd take a, a cargo plane out to Dillingham, and the cargo plane was was half cargo and and, and uh, half uh, uh, seating in it, and you'd fly to Dillingham, and then uh, usually we'd spend the night there, and then uh, take a float plane or a boat up, but you're up. Uh, how many miles from Dillingham are you up the Nutrigat? Thirty-five. Does that put you at what about Portage Creek? Is that about where that yep, is? Yep, yep. I'm just below Portage Creek. Yep. So I'm still on the main stem of the river, and then uh-huh. just above me, it splits and goes in, in into two. So we're. I I'm always a big fan. I'm a big fan of statistics. So I. I'd rather fish on a hundred percent of the fish than half. So there, there, there you go. So tell us a little <laughs> bit more about the salmon camp. Um, you run it from what May till July or something like that. So, uh, so we fish just the peak of the king season. So mid June to mid July, mm-hmm. we do uh, five night, six day sessions. So we do five of those okay. starting July 10th. And then we go all, you know, through the, through the mid- middle of July. Got and it. it's it's good on either ends of that, but it's it's such a you know expensive you know kind of intense you know trip, and I I like to just I I like to set dates right in the middle of the historical peak, and that way we're ensured that there's going to be some fish around. I, I I really don't want people to come up there and and not have an ideal you know trip. So, you bet. So we just hit the meat of the run. There is a silver run later in the year. But um, our Columbia run is kind of our fall season, you know, buoy 10 is right right in that same range. So um, for me, it's it's worked better where I just come back and fish in Oregon as opposed to staying up there and doing the silvers. But um, that could change. I might expand that at some point. Yeah. But um, it's 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 an amazing fishery just uh you know kind of untouched there's no roads anywhere around as you mentioned you kind of got a you got a float plane in and you know that's kind of 
the main reason it's still really good. If there was a road that came in there, it would, it probably wouldn't be the same. So. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So if the season is between June the 10th and, and middle of July, something like that, you can, you can get in five or six groups. How, how many people yep, do, you, six. Uh, do you host on a week? So we usually do uh, around 20. We can do more. Um, I usually do a mix of, uh, I have a fair number of uh, Alaskans that live in Alaska that have their own planes. So I usually have a couple groups of those guys that are return customers. They fly in and then uh, they guide themselves. And then um, the remainder I have of guided trips from people from all over the world. And so we usually have, uh, I have six boats. So we usually have anywhere between, you know, 18 and 26 people per session. So it's pretty small. Wow. wow. But, but it, it is small, but on, on a scale of what is on the Nushagak where you're at, you're one of the bigger camps up there then. Yeah. Yep. I'm kind of in the middle. There's, there's a couple that are smaller. Um, there's a, there's a couple that are bigger. And then there's a, there's a fair number of camps that are based out of a lodge and they'll do day trips. And then, yeah. um, and those, you know, they're, they're, those guys are primarily fly fishing based. Um, but then they really ramp up for the king season. They hit, and they're able to kind of reach out and touch, you know, any of the tributaries. But uh, a couple of those big lodges that you know have you know four or five you know float planes, you know, they have some fairly large size operations. But um, the beauty of that is, is they don't usually come in till late morning. So mm-hmm. uh, we we have their water cleaned out before they show up. <laughs> that's a great way to put that (laughs) so without without giving away your your secrets or your secret sauce um how do most people fish for kings when they come up with you um so we are uh, pretty heavily uh bait intensive we fish a lot of salmon eggs um i i just I like to get people hands-on fishing and, you know, you add in the bait factor. It's, it's, it create it creates a ton of work and there's a lot of camps that, you know, don't use bait for that reason. And right. they, they still catch a lot of fish, but I really think that part of the experience is feeling the bite. I mean, once you kind of get that down, um, it's so hard to teach somebody to feel the, the bite of, in when to set back bouncing or dri- or dragging or you know boondogging uh you know down here in the lower 48 because you know you get one or two shots at it and you screw it up you're going to screw it up especially if you're a trout fisherman you're going to set the t- hook too quickly right. and up there it's not a big deal it's low stress we just say wait wait a couple minutes to get another shot at it eventually we get people dialed in and they're uh you know feeling that awesome you know grab and so um, that's my preferred method is we just, you know, lower down with a couple ounces of weight and a big glob of eggs and wait for those super aggressive, fresh Kings to grab it. And it's, it's a great experience. And we, you know, and we do everything else too. We douse downstream troll spinners and uh-huh. bobber dog. Um, one of the coolest things that we, we have at my camp is we're aligned on an awesome spot in the bank. So, we fish 10 hours guided and then we have, um, you know, basically have another 12 hours of daylight. So 
uh, we can plunk off the bank and we have tremendous success. We're, we're right in the zone for both chums and Kings and sockeye. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. You know, when I went up, uh, got 15 years ago and, and my last trip to the Nutriac, I remember I uh, talked to a friend of mine to come in, to come with me and he was on the plane and he was all distraught. Well, not a, a little bit anyway, because he had left his cigars. He was a big cigar smoker. He goes, well, when we get to the camp, I'll just have to uh, go down to a store and pick up some <laughs> cigars. But that is, that ain't the way that works up there, is it? I mean, you're as remote <laughs> as you can get. Yep. Yep. It, uh, things are available, but you got to pay a, you got to pay a premium to get them. It's, it's better to bring it with you for sure. I mean, I've had to have parts flown in and, uh -huh. you know, 1200 bucks an hour for a float plane can get expensive real quick. So it, it really can. So, so what does it cost to come fishing with you? Uh, so we, with those five night, six day packages, it's uh, $2,700 a person. And that includes your float plane flight and wow. your fully uh, guided fishing. And uh -huh. we have commercial grade uh, fish prep. I have a retired pathologist that, cuts up a fish better than anybody I've ever seen. All that. Uh, and then we have commercial chamber vacuum packers and, and uh, big generators and freezers. So we, we get them, we get them frozen and uh, packed up and uh, you know, with our limit, which is typically four Kings per year right. per person that equals 50 pounds of uh, King fillets and then, you know, if a guy wants to put in a little bit extra work, we can usually add in another, you know, 50 pounds of, of sockeye as well. So you end up with a couple of boxes of nice salmon. Wow. That'll get you, that'll get a guy through the year, won't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard, you know, people talk about the old days when you could go up to Canada and bring back three, 400 pounds. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I eat fish a lot and, you know, 50 pounds is a lot of fish. Sure, sure it is. Gosh, at $2,700, that's quite a, quite a value for what you offer. Now, I would imagine that guests will have to pay their way to get to Dillingham. Is that right? And then they do. Over from there? Yep, yep. So, yeah, so it doesn't include that, that commercial flight, which um, they still run that same uh, type of uh, Alaska Airlines flies in there once a day with that kind of half cargo, half uh, – passenger it's a 737 so it's a it's a big jet right um, they fly in there once a day so um, you gotta you gotta uh, arrange for that and then uh your fishing license mm -hmm. and um that's about it so uh once you show up in dillingham then we uh we we have our float plane guy pick you up and mm -hmm. uh, fly out to camp and you land steps away from your uh you know, 12 by 14 wall tent on a platform and offload your stuff. And then you're roping salmon. Terrific. Terrific. So let, let's talk a little about your Oregon operation. You're going to start fishing what February or something like that. Uh, yeah. Yep. I'll, I, depending on water conditions, I, I usually go out just kind of scouting and figuring out the springers at uh -huh. the right at the end of February the water's real high. That doesn't it usually end up being super productive, but I've had some amazing days in February just because there's nobody out on the, you know, the Columbia is open and, and the port right. here and uh, you know, the Multnomah channel, there's a, a few that sneak up there. Mm -hmm. So 
but but typically don't get going until you know mid March. Right. Is when I really start to have you know get start to fill up as uh-huh. far as springers. Um, and then I, I fish that right through the end of May. And then, you know, that I, uh, you know, it, it continues to fish, but, uh, you know, I go up to Alaska on the 1st of June. Right. Typically. Right. So. so in Oregon, you, do you focus mainly on the Columbia when you're there then? Yeah, I do. I typically fish the Columbia and Willamette. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to fish a lot of more tributaries, but just with the decline of all the runs that, um, I just, you know, I, I like to get, I like to get in front of three or four different creeks, you know, in the big water, as opposed to kind of limiting myself to, to one, right. one, one river. So I've, I've had better success, you know, starting to fish more staying in the big water. Uh-huh. How does it compare fishing in, uh, in the Columbia compared to fishing on the Nushigak? You kind of got to, in your head, kind of readjust for that when you get back, uh, back to Oregon? Yeah, it's, 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 it's different for sure. I mean, I go from, you know, kind of waking up and taking four steps, pulling on my boots and four steps to the boat to, you know, dealing with the whole, you know, Astoria crowd and, right. And, uh, um, you know, we've had a few years where, you know, our fishing has been, you know, almost as good here in Oregon, but, uh, it's, it's uh, on average, it's, you get spoiled fishing in Alaska. It's, it's super, I almost hate to say easy, but, um, there's a lot of opportunity. Sure. Well, that was one thing that I found going to Alaska. You, you do get spoiled and it's a whole different world up there. Um, but, uh, Oregon of course has some great fisheries in it, in, in, uh, in its own. And still there's opportunities, you know, where you can hit days out there where you're, 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 you're boating a lot of fish, um, that are coming in depending on, you know, the size of the runs and that sort of thing. So, um, are, are you fishing any of the, the coastal rivers that you did as a kid? I am, I fish, uh, after, so after, you know, the, our buoy 10 season, August, and then I usually try to stick down, you know, that, uh, into, you know, mid September, where we start to get in a little bit of crabbing and then, you know, so the coho fishing usually starts to get ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but you know, this year, you know, they got shut down a little early, but um, yeah, then I'll move down and, and fish the North coast and I kind of just b- bounce around um, uh-huh. since I don't have a house on the coast. I I'm able to, you know, pull my RV and just kind of go to whatever river I think is, is going to be the best. Um, you know, so that anywhere from, you know, Garibaldi down to the Salettes. Right. So, um, so I'm kind of mobile and, you know, my people all know that, you know, I'm just going to call them and, and we're going to know a couple of days ahead of time where, mm-hmm. where we're, where we're going to be hitting, where we're going to be at the Nahalem or we're going to be, you know, fishing the bay or maybe out in the ocean, you know, at the bubble. Right. Right. Now, now do you have pro staff agreements, Jerry? Yeah, a bit, I've been working with a few companies that have uh, really helped me out. I mean, Short Bus is always super, super helpful. They've they've got a whole line of products that have been uh, helping me out a ton. And yeah, uh, JT is um, an a- active guy, man. He's always seeming to come up with new stuff. Yep, and he is lightning fast. It's unbelievable. I always come up with some weird stuff, and he has it to my door instantly. It's unbelievable. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, my rod company, which I was really help, uh, happy with, they went out of business. So I'm, uh, still working on, um, finding, uh, somebody new to work with on rods, but I've, I've been using Daiwa reels. The new right. Daiwa reels are super awesome. They're unbelievably awesome. They have uh-huh. tremendously smooth drags and just the fit and finish is, is top notch. I, I, I can't say enough about the new Daiwas. They're awesome. The line uh-huh. counters, I'm a big fan of line counters. I don't think there's no going back once you start using line counters. So true. It takes a lot of question out of it, doesn't it? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not a big scent guy. Um, down here in Oregon, I, I feel like I got my kind of my, my herring game on point. Uh-huh. I don't use a lot of scent, but up in Alaska, um, you know, with the eggs and everything, uh, I use a lot of pro cure products and sure. uh, those guys make top notch stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's true. Now what, what kind of, what kind of boat do you run, Jared? So I run a Willie. Uh-huh. Um, or right now I have a Raptor, uh, you know, guide guide boat tiller with the with the windshield, which is a is awesome, especially oh. especially for springer fishing. You know, a lot of my clientele, or just anybody, doesn't like getting cold. You know, a lot of my guys are older, and mm-hmm. you know they don't warm up as good as younger guys. And, and uh, the uh, the windshield is a is a huge huge comfort factor and uh willie you know i think they're they're right up there with there's a lot of good boat manufacturers but i think they're right at the top yeah yeah so you know you we've probably got a lot of listeners uh you know scratching their head going the windshield's a big deal well in the northwest it is um just because of the way the guide boats are set up and that sort of thing you know if you're on the chesapeake or if you're fishing the great lakes and that sort of thing you know, you're fishing the, your Vikings and, and your other types of, of boats with cabins on them and that sort of thing. And uh, in the Northwest, it's a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird. I, you know, I've had the chance to, you know, go around, even go on a couple guided trips, you know, in different areas. And the Northwest has a fleet of boats that you won't see anywhere. I mean, we're yeah. fishing, you know, lightweight, super shallow bottom or shallow V, you know, boats, beating ourselves up for i'm not sure why but um <laughs> it's, it's a fleet of boats you know with guys getting wet and cold yeah. that you won't see anywhere else in the world yeah yeah so true so so true so what what in, in regards to um you know where you're headed as, as a business guy um are, are you do you have any big plans coming up in the next couple of years to, to add to what you're doing or it, it sounds to me like you've got your hands full man I do. I, uh, I got my hands full. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, my only real, you know, possible deal is to expand Alaska. I think there's, uh, the silver fishery, you know, right. right there at my camp. I actually, I my camp is actually on one of the best spots for silvers on the whole river. Um, everybody either flies or, or drives and, you know, it's typically a bank fishery. They come right, right to my spot where I'm at. So, uh-huh. um, um, I really, really, really love the buoy 10 fishing. That was one of the, the fisheries as a, as a kid and as a teenager, that buoy 10 fishery is one of the things that really hooked me into, you know, fishing once I was able mm-hmm. to afford a power boat and get out there in that, that buoy 10 area, that's kind of what hooked me. So I'm, you know, hesitant to get away from that, but I've got a few guys that work for me that, uh, you know, I might 
might be able to turn the camp over to them in the future and, and uh, keep that going Why I'm oh, coming back good. here to Oregon. So, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, it, uh, yeah, it, 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 it sounds like that could be a, a good opportunity for you because the silver run is just exquisite. Is it not on, on the new Chagak? I mean, it, uh, um, you know, you can almost walk across that river when the silver start, start uh, coming in. Yep. And it's, you know, and it's liberal limits uh, five a day typically. So, um, you know, the silvers, you know, they don't pull the price on the commercial yep. market as for as far as, you know, meat goes, but I think they're delicious. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeah. So it, there's definitely more opportunity to, to harvest more fish during the silver season. Um, yeah. So, so, yep. so true. Well, well, Jared, if somebody wants to get a hold of you and, and uh, come fishing in Alaska, or book a trip in Oregon, how would they do that? Well, the best way to be go to my website, uh, which is uh, CIA Outfitters, uh-huh. com, or um, you can just text me or call me, and my number is 541-771-1516. Very good. Now, in my dealings with you, uh, you seem to be booked up uh, – uh, it, it, at least on the Alaska side, like a year in advance. I mean, do you still have some spots this year? Does somebody want to do uh, uh, and come and play with you up there? I do. I still have a couple spots open. I uh, just booked a group of four uh, right before we talked. Um, uh-huh. Typically, it's better to, if you're, especially if you have a particular date that you're available, it's better to get in before the show start. Right. Um, that's, that's coming up. But I, I, I have spots available and then in Oregon. Uh, most of my customers are corporate guys and they, they kind of, uh, will take up a fair amount of the, the good tide dates or, or they'll just rebook the same day, but I definitely have openings, uh, for springers and, uh, that fall fishery. Ter- terrific. You know, we mentioned a couple times that you're going to be doing the shows. What, what shows are you doing this year, Jared? Oh, I'm doing the, let's see trying to remember i think i'm doing the sacramento show the denver show salt lake and then there's a nice little show in albany that i'm doing uh-huh. and then i finish up with uh the redmond show you know which is redbender bend but it's a, they're right redmond. okay good so you're you'll be available and and uh you'll have a, a booth there uh, under cia or the alaska operation or both uh, it's, it's, it's both, but it's, uh, under the, the, uh, program, it's always under the King Salmon Outfitters because I'm, I'm more, more there trying to, to market that. I, I'm, uh, I'm always trying to, that's, it's real important with the logistics to, to keep that full. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm typically, you know, pretty close to booked up, you know, year to year here in Oregon, but I'm always, I'm always looking to fill holes. So. Sure. Well, well, terrific. That and that'd be a good, uh, good chance just to come by and and uh, shake your hand and meet you and and uh, um, find out more about uh, the the different types of trips that you offer. I thought um, I I had heard that, that you were offering some sort of special where if somebody books a Alaska trip, they get an Oregon trip for free this year. Is that right? Yep. 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 That's my new promo show special, and anybody that hears it here. Or- comes by the show that's a yep that's a a kicker and um it's a great great way to uh you know kind of experience you know some local fishing 
a lot of guys, a lot of guys, you know, don't have the, don't have the ability to fish in Alaska by themselves. They have to go guided, but um, I've taken plenty of guys that, you know, would never go on a guided trip that come on a lot of my corporate trips that have, have a heck of a time. Cause they, uh, they love it. They, they, mm-hmm. they tell me like, Hey, I fish all the time, but I got, I got a chance to go with a guide, which I never thought I would like, but you drove the boat and, you know, and I was able to sit back and relax and, and, uh, you know, not have to worry about dodging traffic. And so, um, it's a good way to get a lot of hardcore guys that, uh, get a chance to get out and go guided and makes them think twice about having a boat payment and a, and a storage payment. I've had a couple guys sell their boats actually, and decide to start coming with me more. So, you know, that, that is a really good mindset because, uh, you know, boat payments and boat insurance and that sort of thing, that all adds up. And, uh, how many trips could you, uh, could you take with, uh, uh, a guide if you didn't have those payments each and every month? I mean, it, uh, uh, there, there's a trade off there. Yep. There's something to be said for doing it yourself, but from a pure, yeah, cash in cash out standpoint, uh, you could go for, uh, you know, a fair amount of trips. Yeah, you can. Uh, yep. Yeah, you can. Well, Jared, I sure appreciate the chance to, uh, chat with you today. It's been a very interesting and, and intriguing, uh, opportunity to hear about both of your operations and just how busy you are. I'm, uh, uh, and, and again, I, I really appreciate the, uh, the, the chance to talk with you. Well, thank you, Ted. Uh, well, terrific. Well, Hey, Merry Christmas to you and your family and uh, best of luck on this upcoming 2019 season. And, uh, if, uh, people want to get a hold of you, they can go to ciaoutfitters.com. Is that correct? That's correct. Terrific. So anyway, thanks again, Jared. Thank you.